You ever seen Men in Black? If you have, great. If you haven't, that's okay too. It's not all that great of a movie. But all the agents of Men in Black have this really cool toy that I've always wanted. It's this little pin. You hold it up and you do this. And when it does, this light flashes. And anyone that sees the light loses their memories. I really wish I had one of those pins. I really wish I had one of those pins for a variety of reasons, like when I trip and fall in a public restaurant or bump into someone or when someone hands me food and says, enjoy your food, and I say, you too. Moments I wish I could erase. But more seriously, today I wish I had it for you. So I could press this little button and take away your memories of evangelism. Everything you've ever heard about evangelism. So we can come at the topic in a blank slate. Now, sadly, technology doesn't allow me to have one of those toys, nor would I morally feel comfortable using it against a large swath of people online. But I do want you just to take a moment now. Take all the ideas and preconceived notions you've ever had about evangelism. Put it in a box and put it away. We can open it at the end. Let's leave it over there for now. And let's try to come at this topic with a blank slate. Studying what God says about it specifically and what the people in the first century would have thought about it. And in so doing, what you're going to find is some things you've heard before, but a lot of things you haven't. And I think that's where the real meat of this topic lies. Many of us, myself included, before researching this topic in depth, have a very surface-level understanding of evangelism. We're about one and a half inches deep. What's amazing is once you break through that inch and a half, there is a depth of knowledge to be had about this topic. Today, we're going to try to explore that. We're going to start by defining our words. Then we're going to talk about what exactly is the gospel that we're supposed to be evangelizing. And then we'll end by talking about what exactly it means to evangelize. And then at the end, I'll throw a little question at you about how it can transform us. But let's start by defining our terms, because we're not going to get anywhere if we don't even know what word we're talking about here. The word evangelism is actually a Greek, it comes from a Greek word that comes from the word gospel, euangelion. And so, literally, to evangelize is to gospelize. It's to take the good news and tell other people about it. But the problem that we run into is that this word euangelion, the gospel, and this word, you know, euangelizo, the, the verb form, the, to spread the gospel, to proclaim it, what we have is a misunderstanding of these terms. We first don't really know what the good news is, and sometimes we don't really know how to go about doing it. If you will indulge me for just a moment, I want you to consider the idea of gospel. What is the gospel? Probably, you have an answer come to your head. Probably the answer sounds something like this. Though we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us and gave us an opportunity for salvation. So someday after we, we make it through this world and drudge through it and we die, then we have life. May I suggest to you that that's not good news. Mediocre news. The news that you have this personal savior who died for you is phenomenal news. But to follow it up with, oh, and by the way, once you live through 70 years of agony, once you muscle through this terrible life and all the things in it, once you drudge past the, the bleakness of our existence, then someday down the road, by and by in the sky, we'll have life. That's just mediocre. And that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ didn't come to give us a promise of life in the sky by and by. Jesus Christ came for a very different reason. 
I think part of the reason why we struggle with this is because we don't really understand the context of gospel. When we think of gospel, we think of maroon pews. We think of old-time hymn books in our hand. We think of a preacher standing up there preaching on fire and brimstone and heaven and beauty. We, we have these images of these five-step plans that we memorized in our youth and all of the apologetics we've ever been taught. But that's not what the, what the world thought about gospel or gospelizing. No, they had a very different understanding. Let's start today by trying to ask this question. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And in order to start doing that, I'm not going to start with Jesus Christ. As we go to answer it, in fact, I want us to go through what this word gospel meant throughout history. So earlier, uh, a couple weeks ago, as I started planning through this sermon series, I went onto this database I have access to because of college, and it's, um, it allows me to go through and search Greek words through every Greek manuscript like ever. Uh, and so I, I just did a rudimentary search on the, the word, you know, the gospel and gospelizing. And I found the first reference of it was all the way back from Homer when he wrote the book, uh, The Odyssey. That's a long time. This word's been in existence a long time. It didn't just start with Jesus. And what was more amazing is as I went through and looked, these, this word, gospel, wasn't a word used in any kind of spiritual context. It wasn't a spiritual word. It was a political word. For instance, in the Odyssey, when it's talked about, it was after Odysseus's great victories that the gospel of Odysseus, the, the good news of his victory and his military might, was to be evangelized to the world. That was what the text said. But then what I found interesting is as I started studying more, I found so many other contexts in which this word is used in contexts that, that will shock you. For instance, Plutarch remarks of King Agellius II in his Mighty Men book, having discovered that a Spartan army having repelled the Corinthian fleet was victorious, declared a gospel of victory, Agellius's gospel, that he then sent evangelists throughout Greece to preach. Nothing spiritual about that. In 490 BC, the Persian hordes crossed the Aegean Sea and attempted to conquer the disjointed and separated Greek city-states. And after a remarkable, remarkable endeavor by 300, really more than that, Spartans and 1,100 Theban mercenaries at the Battle of Thermopylae, the Greeks were able to unify, create an army, and repel the Persians in the Battle of Marathon, outside of a plain uh, in Marathon. And after de declaring victory and after conquering this massive army that they had no business even standing against, let alone beating, they proclaimed a gospel, the good news of victory, won by the sword, to be spread all through the world with evangelists. When Alexander the Great reached the shore of India, fulfilling Dionysus' path of, um, path of civilization from the myths, many people believe Alexander the Great had supplanted uh, a son of God. He had become this super powerful king ruler. And the good news of Alexander's great empire was spread throughout the world. The gospel of Alexander. In all of these stories, we see something consistent, right? We see that this gospel wasn't a religious term. It wasn't a spiritual promise of personal salvation, nor was it a home in the sky by and by. The gospel 
was always a proclamation of news that a new power had come to be. It was news that there was a new ruler or a new ruling party, that there was a new might of the world. This gospel was a proclamation that everything that we thought we knew was about to change because there is a new ruling class. In many ways, the word gospel, I think, should be better translated imperial edict, an imperial proclamation. And I'm not alone in this. N.T. Wright, as well as Brian Zond, and even others have have lobbied that we change this phrase gospel to imperial edict because that's the way it would have been understood in the ancient world. When you heard of a gospel of a new king, you weren't expecting this king to die on the cross for sins or bring you personal salvation. You knew that this meant there's a new party in charge. There's a new ruling class and it's about to get different. So when people began to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's a huge shocking revelation, not a spiritual one, not at first but a political one. And what in the world does that mean? Perhaps the most shocking of the gospels before the gospel of Jesus Christ was the gospel of Augustus Caesar. In a calendar inscription that they found in the city of Prairene, dated to 6 BC, ironically, probably the same year, if not close to when Jesus was born, there is this inscription about the Augustus Caesar the princeps of Rome. Providence, this is the inscription, that orders all our lives has in her display of concern and generosity in our behalf adorned our lives with the highest good humanity has ever seen, Augustus. This man whom she has filled with virtue for the benefit of humanity and has in her beneficence granted us and those who will come after us a savior who has made war to cease and who shall put anything and everything under his feet. That sounds familiar, but this is where it gets interesting. Caesar transcended the expectations of all, with the result that the birthday of our God signaled the beginning of the good news for the world because of the Son of God. What we have here is the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus, the son of God. And this was the gospel that Jesus was born into. What's interesting about this is that this gospel was to be evangelized to the whole world. It was to be the ruling order, the class, the promise that there is a new empire and a new emperor. His name is Augustus and he is great and everyone else isn't. It's the promise that I, have, I, Caesar Augustus, have won the battles necessary to rule. And my empire will stand alone and unique. But one of the most interesting facets of Augustus Caesar's gospel, the beginning of uh, the gospel of Caesar Augustus, the son of God, was that he claimed exclusivity. He was the son of God. He was it. Now, when we say son of God, they didn't mean Zeus. They actually meant Julius, Caesar, who they deemed a God. He was the son of God, the son of Julius. But it was an exclusive gospel. There was one emperor. There was one empire. There was one son of God. And for you to say anything to the contrary was a death sentence. It was considered treason. One of the reasons that when Christians came along and started saying bold things like, there's a new gospel with a new empire and a new king, it got us all in trouble. 
because that was an exclusive gospel. The gospel of Julius Caesar, or excuse me, Augustus Caesar, there was only one, and it was him, the proclamation of the good news. So imagine how shocking, and oh man, guys, I'm, I'm sorry, this is, this is really important to me. Sometimes I think we do the, the Bible a disservice when we whitewash it, right? When we take away some of the, the excitement of it, and we miss so much of it. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, we get one of these moments. Mark is writing in the city of Rome, in the city of the gospel of Augustus Caesar, under the nose of the emperor himself. Remember that calendar inscription and, and lock it in your head, okay? Lock it in your head. Because he writes this at the beginning of his gospel. I'm going to read it first out of the ESV and then we're going we're to do some work on it. He says this, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Does that sound familiar to you? This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark, when he wrote that, was clearly writing against the gospel of Augustus Caesar, and he was clearly writing his own death sentence. There was no way that he was going to be able to live after writing that. There was no way that anyone who had this document could live. This was a dynamic and fiery piece of writing that was going to change the course of human history. A new gospel was being proclaimed, which means a new imperial edict has been ordered. It's a new imperial proclamation of a new empire and a new emperor and a new world order. It's all new. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. And every single person that read Mark's words wasn't thinking of a spiritual salvation by and by. They were knowing that this meant that there was going to be radical and meaningful changes to the world now. That there is a new empire now, a new emperor now. It's not life everlasting someday once we drudge through this earth. It's a new form of existence now. It's a new life now. That is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the meat of the gospel. Not a spiritual promise of things to come down the road, but an earth-shattering paradigm shift now. A proclamation of change now. The gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't have your engaged notes out right now, I would highly encourage you to pause this and do it because without it, it's going to get a little confusing here. I'm going to do something I've never done with the church before. Don't know if it's going to work. We're going to give it our best shot. On your engage link, you're going to see a bunch of letters that make no sense, a bunch of nonsense words. Those are Greek letters. Those are Greek words. Um, this is the opening of the Gospel of Mark in its original language, Greek. And we're going to translate it together. Now, I know that may sound weird, but I think it's really important because we have to lock this verse in. This verse is so centrally important to everything we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. RK literally is the beginning of. That one's easy. So underneath the, the Greek, you're going to see a blank as we're, as we're writing our own translation here. So we're translating this together. RK, there's really no disagreement or debate. The beginning to Angeliu of, now this is the word for the gospel. But what is a gospel again? It's not some spiritual promise. Let's not use the word gospel because in our modern context, we all take it as a spiritual gospel, a spiritual only gospel. Are there spiritual components to the gospel? Absolutely. Are those spiritual components very important? Yes. But is that all the gospel is? No. So let's try to find a new word. I submit that the best word to translate this next phrase 
would be the imperial proclamation. Imperial proclamation. That's going to be my take. The beginning of the imperial proclamation, the next phrase, set of words there, Hiesu Christu, Jesus Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew phrase for king. So the imperial, the beginning of the imperial proclamation of King Jesus. The beginning of the imperial proclamation of King Jesus. Hiawthiu, son of God. But I want you to add a word. And I want you to underline this. You know, it's not in the original Greek text. The true son of God. That. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. An imperial proclamation under the nose of Augustus. In the city of the best empire. One that will outlast every other empire. The proclamation that there is a new king and it's not Caesar. There is a new ruler and it's not Rome. There is a new empire and it's, it's not any that's come before. It's something vastly different, something vastly unique, and something vastly impactful. The beginning of the good news, the imperial edict, the imperial proclamation of King Jesus, the true son of God, of which there is no other son of God. And there is no other emperor. And there is no other empire. Mark goes through his book and he begins to proceed to talk about all of the things that this, this, this King Jesus did in his inauguration of his new empire. We see him doing things that are remarkable, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, clothing the naked, caring for the poor. We see him changing the communities that he goes into, altering lives everywhere he goes, turning the world upside down, changing the course of history. This is what our emperor did, and that is all part of his gospel, his imperial proclamation. And what's amazing is at the end of his life, as he's dying on the cross, even before his resurrection, which, by the way, cemented everything and made it all relevant, even before his his resurrection, he was going to go down in history as one of the most amazing and incredible figures in the history of humanity. But after his resurrection, something else came about. Before his resurrection, he was a popular historical figure. After, he truly was King Jesus, Son of God. He had a victory greater than the gospel of King Agelius over a foe greater than the Persians, making an empire greater than Alexander's and changing the world more than Augustus Caesar. All other gospels pale in comparison to this one. The story of a resurrected king, Jesus, and the story of his imperial proclamation that we have the privilege of having. So, the gospel, the last blank you'll see in this part of your guided notes, is the imperial proclamation of King Jesus. The imperial proclamation of King Jesus. As we conclude today, I want us to quickly touch on what is it then to evangelize? What is it to evangelize? Well, simply put, it's just to, you know, take that news and tell other people about it. But the New Testament gives us a very specific way on how to spread the good news. See, this this good news, as we're going to talk about more next week, 
is a not only a spiritual one, but a political one, right? It's not just a, a, a religious, but it's a, it's a cultural. It's all the things. It changes everything. Not only does it give us the hope of the, the pie in the sky by and by, but it also gives us life now everlasting. It gives us life now in this moment that'll change everything. It gives us hope and peace now. The gospel, the imperial proclamation of Jesus Christ changes us now forever, not just someday forever. And so right now you and I have the benefit of living a life transformed. A life changed. Evangelism, then, the gospelizing, the spreading of this good news, shouldn't be done exclusively with words. In fact, it shouldn't be done with that many words at all. Nearly three and a half times uh, length of time that we see recorded in Scripture was Jesus talking and Jesus acting. Meaning we see for every one minute Jesus is spending talking, he's spending five minutes healing and and helping and feeding and caring for. Likewise, if we're going to take the imperial proclamation of King Jesus, we need to do it like he did it. And it's not only with our words. It's not only with our apologetics. It's not just in Bible studies and reciting the five-step plans of salvation. It's living his life on earth. The imperial proclamation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, calls you and I to follow Jesus Christ wherever he goes and whatever he did. That means that we are to spend time acting on behalf of this imperial proclamation to the world, caring for those in the world, moving for those in the world. Your gospelizing, your evangelizing is not done with your ability to prove God in 22 minutes. It's not your ability to quote all of the necessary steps of salvation at somebody. It's not about door knocking and all those things alone. Those may all be part of it, maybe an important part of it. But what's most important is that you bring life to people now. You bring life to people now. Emperor Jesus of this new empire, of this new regime, that was his point, to bring life and bring it to the fullest, to bring it to all of us now, not not down the road, not the mediocre news that someday it's going to get better, but changing people now for the better. And we as his empire need to be doing that to the world around us. How many hungry people in your circle of influence are fed by you? Have you clothed the naked? Have you helped the sick? cared for those who are lost and alone, helped the grieving, worked with those who are suffering, cried with those who are crying, laughing with those who laugh. Because all of those things are what Jesus defines as evangelism. All of those things are bringing life to people now. And the spiritual part of the gospel is very important. We'll talk about that more next week. But today I want us to really focus in on the physical part of the gospel. You and I have the capacity to bring healing to the world by a message that Jesus is on the throne and Caesar isn't. That, that, that the gospel is the proclamation of a new empire, the church, one that cares about all people equally. Not one that has political partisanship. Not one that's tied to any one nation. But selflessly works for all people everywhere. It's a proclamation that God is king, Caesar isn't. Jesus is president, Biden isn't, Trump isn't, whatever. That the church is our empire, not Rome. That we serve the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of America. It's the proclamation that we are freed from all chains of all restrictions of all the things that tie us to Satan's domain. Death, hurt, sickness, suffering, loss, division, all of it. We're freed from. 
Because even if Satan is able to deal us any of those things, he cannot take away the hope that's within us because of the imperial proclamation of Jesus Christ. That's what the world needs. So what is evangelism? Evangelism is this. This is the the last blank under the evangelism section. It's the living out the transformative imperial proclamation of King Jesus. Living out the transformative imperial proclamation of King Jesus. Not by what you say, but by what you do. Not by how smart you are with the scriptures, but how meaningfully loving you are to those around you. Next week, let me show you where we're going. We're going to break down a little bit more of why evangelize. We're going to talk about the transformative power of the the gospel, the uh, the imperial proclamation of King Jesus. We're going to talk about how this good news can revolutionize the people around you and how it can change the people around you, but also how it can change you. And we're going to do so by looking at some really strange things. Strange things that say it's not really about what you say or when you say it. It's not about having the right process or the right biblical knowledge. It's about having the right hands and feet of Jesus. Changing evangelism from Bible studies and conversations, though those are very important, and though for some of you that may be your calling in evangelism, it opens up a new opportunity, a new door to evangelize all the time. Much like what we found in worship. It's not about an action or a prescribed series of steps. No, it's about a lifestyle with Christ. In worship, it was partnering with God. In this, it's submitting to the empire of Christ and the imperial rulership of him, submitting your life under him and allowing him to fulfill it. It's about partaking in the life everlasting now, partaking in eternal life now. And as we move forward, it's, it's more about you and King Jesus changing the world for the better and less about you trying your hardest to deliver personal salvation to all. As we conclude, I want us to address on one, the final question on your guided notes and the final question of the day. How is the gospel transforming? And I want you to honestly consider this week, how has the gospel transformed you? Has it transformed you? Do you notice a noticeable uh, difference in the way you treat others in your life? Are you being the hands and feet to Christ to those around you? Are you feeding the hungry, going out of your way to care for those who are different than you, serving in every capacity you can to bring life to people now like Christ did? Has the imperial proclamation that there is a new emperor really changed you in your interaction with the old one? And, perhaps most notably, would you consider your daily life to be filled with proclaiming the King Jesus? If the answer is yes, then these next couple weeks would be review for you. But if the answer is no, as it was for me, as it is for me, let's work together, church, on understanding what it means to live in the empire of Christ and how it is that we can bring King Jesus to the world through our actions and through our love and through our words. King Jesus reigns, and you and I, we are part of his country. How freeing it is to know that he is ours and we are his.